Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Introduction to Faith. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> I'm going to do something that I haven't done in a number of years. And uh, I'm going to begin a series tonight, and I'm going to begin talking just about faith, about how to believe God. And did you know a lot of my teaching, I try and go into a church and supply a gap, fill a gap, you know, because uh, I don't want to just be an echo of what everybody else is doing, but I kind of discern where things are in the body of Christ and go in and try and fill a need. And for years and years and years, I've been trying to minister to people about that have heard faith and have been taught faith and they're frustrated. And I'm trying to minister to them about, you know, how to get back on track and how to balance that faith with grace, which is one of the main things that the Lord's... Uh, led me to teach, etc. And so I do that a lot. But you know, the Lord's been just showing me lately that that we call ourselves faith people and uh, we think that we've heard faith. And as I go around and minister to people and pray for people, did you know most of us great faith people don't know the first thing about faith? And those of us who say we do know something about faith aren't walking in it very good. And I believe it's just like Paul said, sometimes we need to go back and hear what be the first principles, the foundation of faith. And so we're just going to share some things on faith and just try and get you motivated to believe God. You know, we use every excuse in the world for why things aren't working. But the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And I guarantee you, if you're walking in faith, you're overcoming the world. Faith is a world overcomer. And there's a lot of people who think, well, no, I'm walking in faith and I'm not overcoming the world. Well, that's just not so. I, I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm not calling you a liar. But if I have to choose between what you'd say and what the Word of God says, I believe the Word of God over what you say. And I do the same thing with myself. There's a lot of times I think, but I am operating in faith, but I'm not overcoming the world. And I just have to go back and say that, look, I'm not operating in faith or I'd be overcoming the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. When you're walking in faith, faith is superior to any problem that you've got. Faith in the Lord will put you over in any situation. And some of us have literally forgotten that. Some of us have walked away from it. Some of us are trying to live on a revelation that we got 20, 30 years ago or whenever. And we need to go back and just realize that it's, <coughs> it's like manna. You can't live off yesterday's manna. you got to get current manna. Amen. You try and stir it up, it's going to breed worms and stink. It won't work. Amen. It's got to be current. So let's look at something right here in Mark chapter 5. And uh, we're going to be dealing in this series talking about how to overcome doubt. Which, uh, we're, you know, a lot of times we talk on faith, but then when a person feels doubt coming, we just try and ignore it. We try and shove it off. We try and do everything except really confront it. And there's some specific things in the Word of God about how you can overcome doubt in your life. And we'll share some things that I believe will really, really help you. Here in Mark chapter 5 is where we find the instance of Jesus ministering to Jairus and his daughter. And of course, Jairus came to him and asked him to go minister um, to his daughter. But as he was going to minister to Jairus' daughter, let's start reading in verse 24. This is Mark chapter 5, verse 24. It says, And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may, but, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. 
And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Now seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And you know, this is a powerful example. And some of us have heard this so many times we feel like I already know this. But I want you to listen like you hadn't heard this before, all right? Because again, we need faith to operate. And faith is what's deficient in a lot of people today. And this is a powerful example of exactly how faith operates. There's some great examples here about this lady. But first of all, notice that there was a multitude here. It says that they were thronging him. And if you look at that word throng, what it means is that they were pressing on him. These people were pressing in to touch Jesus because people had been healed before by Jesus touching them. And uh, this was commonplace. And so people were thronging Jesus with needs, trying to get these needs met. So there was a multitude, many, many people touching the Lord. And yet there was only one woman that received. And when the Lord turned around and found her, did you know he told her, he says, Woman, thy faith has made thee whole. The thing that made this woman receive when other people didn't receive is because she had faith in Jesus as able to meet her need. Did you know everybody in that crowd, the reason they were thronging him was because they desired to receive from God. They had a need and they were coming to God and they were crying out to God and asking God for help. But there's only one person out of a multitude that got that help. And you know, there's a lot of people today that have fallen into a mistaken impression that a need or a desire for God to meet that need is faith. And it isn't faith. Every one of those people had a desire. Every one of those people believed that Jesus could meet the need. Amen? I hope you can handle me up here. I just can't hardly stand behind a pulpit. Amen? It's too religious. I like standing out here, praise God. But anyway, praise God, the Holy Ghost. Anyway, people have gotten the mistaken impression that, you know, if they're really crying out and desiring and seeking after the things of God, that surely this is faith. But that's not faith. I'd say that a large segment of people today who are really trying to believe God and, and believe for something, they're just wishing and a hoping and a praying, but there's no real faith involved in it. There's some things that were different about this woman. There was a multitude thronging Jesus and touching him, and only power went out to one person. And you know, we see similar things happen today. We see people in faith churches, in word churches, spirit-filled churches, charismatic churches, whatever you want to call yourself. Anyway, we see people in churches today who would fight over the fact that I'm full gospel, amen. Nobody wants to admit you got an empty gospel. Everybody believes that they're full gospel. And we'd fight over it, and yet there's people with needs unmet. And then we get frustrated and go to God and say, what's wrong? And the Lord over and over to people said, if you believe, nothing's impossible to you. Brothers and sisters, I'm saying this in love. I'm not trying to rebuke anybody, but the truth is we are not really walking in very much faith. We've, we've substituted desire, hope, and think that that's sufficient. God, we believe you can do it. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Even the devils believe God can do it. The Bible says in James 2.19, says, Do you believe that there's one God? Well, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Just believing that God can do something doesn't mean anything. You know, I was raised in a Baptist church. And I was told that God could heal, but... Uh, 
certainly wasn't told to expect that God did heal. When my dad died at 12 years old, I remember the pastor coming in and telling me God wanted your dad in heaven more than... He needed him in heaven more than you needed him. And God was responsible for it. And all of these things that happened, you know, it was just... You know, if God desires to do it, it was all in a passive sense. We were waiting on God to do it. When I got turned on, baptized with the Holy Ghost, found out that there was such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues, and man, I began to get excited about the things of God and power began to flow in my life. You know, the first place I went, I went to a Pentecostal church. Man, I said, praise God, these people have had the truth all along. And I went there, and did you know, after a few services, I found out that the Pentecostals didn't have as much happening as the Baptists did. I was totally shocked. In our Baptist church, some of them may have a hard time relating to this, but we were a little peculiar. And our services would go to 1 o'clock in the morning sometimes. I remember staying at church to 1 o'clock in the morning. We had miracles happen. We had people brought in on stretchers on their deathbed, and they'd get up and run out healed. We had people, I remember our piano player, he'd get so excited, he'd wave his handkerchief and just go to praising God. And one time he got both hands up in the air and the piano was still playing. I still don't know how that happened. But I mean, we had things happen. People run around our church. We saw cataracts fall off of people's eyes on the floor. And you could pick them up in a Baptist church and we didn't even believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so I went to the Pentecostals, thought they had it all along. I got over there and man, they were sicker than the Baptist ever thought about being. And yet, here they were saying that it's God's will to heal. The Baptist said, well, God can heal. God can do anything he wants to. If he wants to, let him do it. And here, I didn't understand this because here were the people who believed God could heal and they were sicker than the people who thought God could heal if he wanted to. And I couldn't understand it. And the Lord began to start showing me that, you know, just because a person desires something and intellectually believes God can do it, that is not faith. There's a lot of you in here tonight who are would stand and fight for the fact that, yes, sir, I believe God's a miracle worker. I believe God performs miracles. But when it comes right down to it, will it work for you? Uh, well, I don't know. I know God's able, but that's, see, that's where most people are. And they think that thinking God is able is faith. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, For without faith it's impossible to please Him. For those who come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So faith is not only believing God is. That's only one part of faith. You not only have to believe that God is. You can't believe that He's the great I was. Amen. Or He's the great I'm going to be. That's the way a lot of people are. In the sweet by and by, they believe it's all going to work out. They believe in the Bible days it happened. But now, does God do miracles? See, that's, that's not what it is. You've got to believe that God is, present tense. But then it goes on to say, you've got to believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. In other words, you've got to believe God's willingness to move on your behalf. If all you believe is that God has the power that you need, but you doubt His willingness to use that power in your life, then you haven't really got faith. Faith isn't just believing God can do it. Faith is believing God has done it. It's for you. It's yours. It's mine. And see, that's one thing that is characteristic about this woman right here. There was multitudes in this place. Everybody was thronging Jesus. And I guarantee you, they weren't there because it was the popular thing to do. In Jesus' day, when you went out to one of his meetings, you got kicked out of the synagogue. You got churched. You got kicked out. And I mean, in the Jewish life, being a Jew, synagogue was everything. 
I mean, you lost family. Today, if a person converts to Christianity and they're a Jew, did you know that their family, if they're an Orthodox Jew, will actually have a funeral service? And they will bury that son or daughter and they're no longer their child. I mean, it was a serious thing to be ostracized. The Jewish society, their religion was everything. So for a person to come out to Jesus, they were risking being kicked out of the synagogue. I mean, it wasn't an easy thing to do. Those people came because they were desperate. They had needs. And they were looking to Jesus, believing that Jesus could meet their needs. And yet here's a multitude of people with needs, a multitude of people that believed Jesus could do it, and only one person out of the multitude got healed. Did you know that that's very similar to the percentages today in spirit-filled churches? Multitudes of people saying, standing and believing that God can heal, that God can meet your needs, that God can prosper you. You'd fight for it if somebody was going to challenge you on it. And yet, as far as your experience goes, there's very little difference between you and your neighbor that doesn't even believe in God. Now, I'm not here to condemn you, amen, if this rubs you the wrong way. You know, it's like when you rub a cat. Have you ever rub a cat against grain and their hair stands up? You know how to solve that? Turn the cat around. Keep rubbing. Amen. <laughs> Turn the cat around. Keep rubbing. And that hair will all lay down. So if what I say rubs you the wrong way, repent. Turn around. Amen. It'll go to feeling good. <laughs> I'm not here to hurt anybody, but sometimes you got to be jarred that, look, we're saying, but I believe in God and it didn't work. That cannot be so. You're saying God's word isn't true. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. Well, that's really what you're saying. There's some of us that if we had listened to what we're saying, well, I believe God, I did everything the Word says, and it didn't work. That's not so. You may have done everything you thought the Word said, but you didn't do what the Word said because faith works. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. God's no respecter of persons. If He would heal this woman, He would have healed everybody in that whole crowd if they would have believed. But there was something different about that woman. That woman, when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, faith, virtue, went out of him and healed that woman. There was multitudes strong. When he turned around, he said, who touched me? His disciples said, Master, everybody's touching you. And are you asking who touched me? But see, there was a difference. There's a difference when a person connects with God by faith and when a person connects with God out of need, out of desperation, out of desire, out of all of these other things. Desire isn't faith. And I'm sure that probably all of us at some time or another have seen some person who needed something desperately from God, cried out to God, pled with God, and yet died sick. And we, we are confused because we say, if there's ever anybody who really desired it, I mean sought God with all of their heart, it had to be this person. But did you know the Bible didn't say that seeking God is what's going to get it for you? It's believing God. And there are some good people who really love God, but they haven't made the connection of faith. And faith is the thing that releases the ability of God in your life. Faith is all we need. Amen. Faith will put you over. Faith in the ability and the power of God. And faith is not believing He can do it. Faith is believing He has done it. It's yours and it's working for me. See, one of the things that set this woman apart, she said, if I may but touch his clothes, not if somebody, in other words, it's not just possible, this will work for somebody, but she brought it down on a personal level. If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She didn't say, I could be made whole, there's a good chance of it. She knew in her heart, she confessed it with her mouth, and that woman believed that faith would work for her. 
Did you know it's not really faith until you get it out of the realm of God can do it until God has done it and He's done it for me. That's when it becomes faith. A person who believes God can heal, you don't believe anything that the devil doesn't believe. But it's when you believe, no, God did heal. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. And praise God, if I am healed, then I'm going to act healed. And I'm going to talk healed. And I'm going to walk healed. That's, the, that's what faith is. Faith has to be a present tense. Present tense reality. And many of us have allowed the devil to substitute a belief that God can do it. You'll rejoice at somebody else's testimony, but you haven't got into a position yet where you have made it a personal thing and it's not really operating in your life. And one of the ways you do that is just by going to God's Word and looking at examples of where people got set free and look at how it worked. Multitude throng in Jesus. One woman got healed and Jesus turned around and He says, it's because of your faith. If you haven't received what you need from God yet, it's because faith isn't activated yet. Faith may be activated to a degree. There's other things to this. I, hadn't, I can't tell you everything I know in one night. I can come close, amen. But there is more to this. Uh, it is possible to have faith and yet have unbelief counteracting it. We're going to deal with that before this series is out, before Wednesday's over with. But you've got to understand that most of us, it's not the fact that faith is being counterbalanced by unbelief. Most of us, it's just the fact that we really haven't ever moved into a position of faith. We're still in a position of hope. We're still desiring, believing God can, but not believing that God has. And praise God, we've got to move beyond that. We've got to get back into what the Bible is calling true faith. Amen? Let's look over in Romans chapter 4 at some examples of faith. There's so much here that I'd like to share with you. Let me just say real quickly while you're turning over there that when you get born again, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That faith is not of yourselves is what that's talking about. Did you know when you got born again, you got born again by God's faith, not just human faith. You were born again by a supernatural faith. And this is important that you understand this because sometimes people had, like the church that I grew up in, they would sit people in a chair. They would use this as an illustration and they'd have somebody sit in a chair and they'd say, it's faith for you to sit in this chair because you've never sat in it before. How do you know it's going to hold you up? See, you're exercising faith. Or they'd say <laughs> that it's faith for you to fly on an airplane. You're getting in some machine that you don't know how that thing works. You don't know who the guy is flying it. So you're using faith to get into that airplane. Well, that is faith, but it's a human faith. God created each one of us with faith. Every person that's ever lived has had faith because God made you in His image and God is a faith being. And so every person has a natural human type of faith. And of course, it's lost a lot of the potency that God intended. Sin has corrupted us and it just simply isn't capable of believing for supernatural things. But when you get born again, see, you've got to believe with the supernatural faith. Because human faith can't believe for something that it can't see. Human faith is based on what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. When you say sit in this chair, that's faith. Well, that's because you can see this chair and you can see that it's got all of its legs there. It looks okay. Plus, you, you trust that when you come into Kenneth's church, he's not going to put a bum chair out for you, amen, to sit in. So you can see a person. There's physical things for you to base your faith on. But if I said come sit in this chair right here, did you know you'd have a hard time sitting in this chair with human faith? Because you'd say, there isn't a chair there. I can't see it. 
And yet, see, when it comes to believing God for salvation, you're believing for things that you can't see. You've never seen God. You've never seen the devil. You've never seen heaven or hell. You've never seen sins. And you don't know what a sin looks like when it's wiped away. And yet you believe in for all of these things. So see, you've got to believe for something that you can't see. So how can you believe? Did you know you can't even believe for salvation with human faith? Your human faith that gets in an airplane and flies somewhere, that kind of faith cannot produce salvation. It cannot change your life because it can only believe what it can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. But when it comes to salvation, you've got to believe for things you can't see. So God literally imparts His faith to you. He gives you His faith so that you can believe and receive His salvation. I mean, we're so destitute, we couldn't save ourselves by our acts, and we couldn't even believe the good news of what Jesus did for us on our own. We had to have God come give us His faith. How do you get God's faith? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. When somebody tells you the gospel and tells you that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believe on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Man, if you opened up your heart... God's faith had entered right into your heart and you could take that very faith of God that came through the Word, turn around and use it and get born again. And the good news is, I had not got time to teach on all of this, but when you get born again, that faith doesn't leave. There's times that you feel like it leaves. There's times that you feel like, well, man, I really believe God for salvation, but now I've been told that I'm going to die and I just don't have any faith. God, give me faith. But the truth is... In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. When you get born again, that same faith that you use to get born again is deposited on the inside of you, and it never, never, never leaves. It never fluctuates. You got the same faith that it took to believe for salvation, which was sufficient to overcome the devil and all of the demons in hell. I mean, if the devil was a big hot shot that he claims to be, instead of coming and yelling at you now, he would have kept you from getting saved, amen? I mean, if he was as powerful as he claimed to be, he'd have just kept you from ever believing on the Lord, but he couldn't keep you from doing that. If your faith was big enough to receive salvation and overcome every objection, every lie that Satan threw at you, then your faith is sufficient to see the dead raised. You do have faith, but the problem is most of us don't use it. It's got to be exercised. It's got to be used. And most of us are substituting this human faith. I mean, when we pray, and if somebody is instantly healed, well, then we believe it. We go out and tell everybody. But if we don't see something, then do we go out and tell everybody that God healed them? Well, no, we didn't see it. Most of us are bound by our senses. See, that's human faith. But we did get a supernatural faith from God. And since the faith is not our own faith, since it's God's faith, we've got to find out how it works because it's not your faith. You can't use it however you want to. People will say things like, this is the Baptist faith and this is the Methodist faith and this is the Pentecostal faith, but there is no such thing. There is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. And there is no such thing as my faith and your faith. It's all God's faith. If you got born again, you had to use God's faith. And since it's God's faith, then it has to operate the way He wants it to. And you just can't say, well, I'm using my faith and I'm going to do it the way I want to. It won't work the way you want to. There are laws that govern God's faith. In Romans chapter 3, verse 27, the scripture there says, are, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. There is a law of faith. A law means something that is consistent. 
It always works. It never fails. This is one of the things you got to get hold of when you start believing in faith. People have an impression about faith that, well, you know, faith, how do you ever put a handle on faith? It's kind of like a mirage. You can see it at a distance, but by the time you get there, it's gone. Amen. You can never get a handle on it. You never really grab. You can't really say what faith is. And who knows when it works? Sometimes it works. Sometimes it does. Doesn't we just don't ever know what God's going to do. That kind of impression will kill faith. You can never prosper if you think that way. There are laws that govern faith. Just like in the natural realm, there are laws that work. You know, when they have a plane crash out here at Midway or one of these airports, they call in the FAA and they start checking things out. And they start trying to find out if there's mechanical error or if there's pilot error or if there was just supernatural weather conditions, wind shear or things like that. Sometimes they can't even find out what the problem is, but you've never heard them come out and say, well, the law of gravity was just strong today. I mean, it was super strong and the law of aerodynamics and the law of thrust and lift didn't work. And I mean, those laws just quit working is what we figured. You'll never have them come up with that. I mean, there are certain things that you don't question. They are laws. They're consistent. You know, just like these keys, I can drop these keys and it doesn't matter where I am. If I'm in Chicago, if I'm in Colorado, anywhere I am, I can let go of those keys and they're going to drop. There is a law that is universal on this earth that gravity works. It never, it always works. And you know, even if you don't think it works, it's going to work. You can walk off the Sears Tower and not even be thinking about gravity and it'll still work. (laughs) It's going to work whether you're thinking about it or not. Did you know that the laws of faith work? constantly, they have never failed. If faith could fail, if the laws that govern faith could fail, did you know that this whole world would self-destruct? Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that Jesus is the brightness of His image and the express image, I mean the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, and He upholds all things by the word of His power. If God's word could be broken, one promise concerning faith could be broken. If it ever failed, did you know that everything that you can see is held together by the word of his power? This universe, everything would self-destruct if God's word could ever fail. God's word will never fail. It's more sure than anything around us. The Bible says the mountains and the hills will depart. I live at 9,000 feet. (laughs) Amen. And you know what? Those mountains I live on are someday going to depart. That's hard to imagine. Those things are about as solid as you can get. And yet someday the mountains are going to depart, but God's Word will still be working. God's Word is more sure than that mountain I live on. God's Word is more sure than anything physical that you can see. And it's wrong for us to say, well, I did what God's Word said and it didn't work. It doesn't work that way. You may have thought you did what God's Word said. There may be sometimes like those plane crashes that you can't figure out what it was that caused you to crash, but just rule out that the laws didn't work. The law of faith always works. God's Word is always steadfast. By the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. And if you'll believe that, you are healed. And there's no exceptions to that. If it's not working, it's because Satan's thrown a wrench in it somewhere. Somewhere we've been deceived. I'm saying, I'm not saying any of these things condemn you, but I'm saying God's not the one that ever failed you. God's Word never failed to work. There are laws that govern God's faith, and it's consistent. It's something that you can trust. And if it didn't work, it's not because God's Word failed, it's because we failed to put it in practice. And some of you are thinking, brother, you just don't know. You haven't been through some of the things I've been through. Man, I could, I could keep you here all night bending your ear, telling you... Terrible stories that I've had. 
I mean, the first four or five people I prayed for died while I was praying for them. I held a little five-year-old boy in my arms for five hours after he died, praying for him to be raised from the dead. And then the police came and tried to throw us all in jail because we didn't do anything about it. I've been through that. I was engaged to a girl who died with me praying for her. Threw up and strangled on her own blood. I got an emergency leave from Vietnam and was with her when she died. And stood there and we had uh, five people at her funeral come up and command her to be raised from the dead. We were totally perplexed because God told us she'd be raised from the dead. I mean, that she'd be healed. And so we just expected her to be raised from the dead. I've been through a lot of negative things. It hadn't always worked for me, but you know what? I just came back to the thing. Romans 3, 4 says, Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. I remember the father of this girl. He came up and he said, Well, Andrew, he said, We tried to believe God, but it couldn't have been God's will because if anybody ever believed God, it was Debbie. And so therefore, since she had to believe God with all of her heart, it must not have been God's will. We must have misinterpreted it. It looked that way. I couldn't give you any other reason. It was two and a half years before I got an answer why that girl wasn't healed. I couldn't tell you the answer, but every time I'd go back to the Word, I'd say, God, I'm not going to just interpret your Word by the circumstances. You're going to have to show me in the Word that the Word, somehow or another, I missed it. Show me that I was believing it wrong. And every time I'd go to the Word, man, the Word said she is healed. The Word said it was God's will to heal her. And I remember telling an evangelist who came through and he was trying to console us all. And I told him, I said, look, I don't know what happened, but God promised me she's going to be healed. And he said, are you saying that God failed? Are you saying that, man, God's word didn't work? I said, no, I'm not saying that. I said, I don't, I'm never going to uh, argue and say that God failed, but something went wrong. It was God's will. And he says, the fact that she's dead shows that it wasn't God's will. Nothing could happen but what it's God's will. Boy, that's killed a lot of people's faith. A lot of people think, well, if she died, it had to be God's will. I mean, after all, God has to allow it. God controls everything that happens in your life. That's not so. That'll kill your faith. God doesn't control everything that happens. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to an acknowledging of the truth. I mean, that's as straight as you can get it. It is not God's will for a person to die and go to hell. And yet, Jesus himself said more people are going to die and go to hell by the broad way than they are by the narrow way that leads unto everlasting life. God's will is not going to come to pass. Jesus prophesied that it wouldn't. Why? Because God willed for you to go to hell and another one to go to heaven? No, God wills for all of us. It's not His will that any go to hell, but He gave you a choice. You can stop God's will in your life. God doesn't use you like a pawn. God doesn't dictate what happens. If a person dies, you can't say, well, it was God's will for him to die or it couldn't happen. That's not so. There's all kinds of things that happen that aren't God's will. It's not God's will that babies die. It's not God's will that all these other things happen and people just automatically say, well, it has to be God's will. Not so. Somebody says, but wait a minute, the Bible says that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I mean, uh, is that right? Romans 8, 28. Well, that, anyway, I haven't got time to go into all of that verse, but that scripture starts off with the word and, which is a conjunction, tying it to the verses previous to that, which is talking about groaning in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit making intercession for you, and it's dependent on the Holy Spirit making intercession for you.
In other words, if you are allowing the Holy Spirit to intercede through you, then we can know that all things work together. And it also doesn't say that all things came from God, that all things are ordered of God, that all things were ordained by God. That's not what it's saying, but it's saying that if you are the call according to His purpose, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, His purpose is to destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest. So for a person who's interceding, for a person who's resisting the devil and going on with God, I can say this, that devil shoot your best shot. Amen. Do anything to me and it's going to work together for good. I can take a defeat and turn it into a testimony. This girl that I told you about died of leukemia with, I was with her. Instead of giving up and quitting and saying, well, God doesn't heal leukemia. My next door neighbor, when I lived in Lamar, Colorado, a 60-year-old woman also had leukemia. And we got to lead her to the Lord and believe God for her. And that woman was healed, miraculously raised up. And praise God, I was able to take what Satan meant for bad and turn around and use it for good. And I've rubbed the devil's nose in it. I've seen people healed of leukemia since then. But it wasn't God that did that to that girl. But it worked together for good because I refused to quit. And I kept operating in the Lord's purpose, which was to destroy the works of the devil. But I guarantee you, you roll over and say, well, God, and you go into uh, belly aching and griping and complaining, the opposite of what Kenneth was talking about tonight. You go into just wailing and travailing and trying to get sympathy in. It's not going to work together for good. There's some of you that are blaming God for the circumstances that you're in, and it's not God's fault. It's not God at all. It's because nobody's believing. There are laws that govern faith. There's laws that govern electricity. Did you know electricity's been here since day one? Adam could have been driving in a Porsche or a Corvette. Amen. The laws were here. There wasn't anything. God isn't the one that kept them from doing it. The laws were here. They could have been using electricity, but they didn't understand the laws. Everything was here, but nobody knew how to grab it. Did that mean that the law wasn't working until just about a hundred years ago? 150 years ago? No, the laws have been here, but people didn't know how to use them. Matter of fact, those laws were killing people. They were going out there getting struck by lightning. All the laws were still there, but we just didn't know how to use them. And so all we've done is learn how to harness it. But did you know that the, it's laws that govern this? God wasn't withholding it from man. It's just that you've got to discover the law and put them into practice. And somebody says, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, man, God's gone to all of this expense to give us His Word. The Word of God teaches us how to believe God, and it teaches us like we were just reading, Romans chapter 3, verse 27, the law of faith. He tells you point blank that there's law. It's unchangeable. If you haven't made connection yet, it's not because God's lacking power. It's because nobody's grabbed hold of His laws and put it into practice. You've got to get this concept that faith is a law. Faith is something that operates automatically. This woman in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark, she came up and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And you know what Jesus did? He turned around and he said, who touched me? Now, most of us with our religious mind would say, of course, Jesus knew who it was that touched him because Jesus is God. Jesus knows everything. Well, Jesus was God. He's 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And Jesus didn't always draw on that God ability. He was walking by faith as a man. Did you know that even God, there's some things that God didn't think of. But somebody may have trouble with that, but there's three times in scriptures that God talked about the terrible sin that man got into. And one time he was talking about people that offered their children in sacrifice unto Moloch. And they literally sacrificed their children. And he said, this thing I didn't command them, neither came it into my mind at any time. God never thought of the depths of sin. God never perceived the depths of sin that man could get into. 
There's some things God didn't think of because he didn't have the power. I believe God had it, but why would God use his ability to think of all the perversion that man could come up with? God never wanted to do it. There's some things that God doesn't even want to think about. And so here's Jesus, a woman touched him. He turned around and said, who touched my clothes? I believe Jesus was just as sincere as he could be. He didn't know who touched his clothes. Now, when this woman failed to come forward, he drew on the gifts of the Spirit. He drew on the ability of God, and he was able to point this woman out. But I don't believe he knew who it was that touched his clothes at first. Now, the reason that this is important, because see, it illustrates this law. A lot of us think that God is in heaven, and we're pleading and begging, and, oh, God, we're asking you for this. I promise you this. I, I mean, man, we've made deals with God. God, I promise you I'll go to church. God, I promise you I'll straighten up. God, I'll do that. I'll give if you'll answer my prayer. And what we're trying to do, we think that God's up there kind of sizing us up, looking at us and saying, no, you aren't serious enough yet. You had not begged enough yet. A little bit longer. Another day's fast. Wail more. Cry more. You got to get louder. You aren't holy enough. God's sizing us up. And until we do all of these things, then when we get good enough, God says, okay. And he gives him. That's the attitude that a lot of us have. We're trying to get God to see that, oh God, I'm serious. I travel around a lot and I listen to people's prayers. And you know, it's terrible the way Christians pray. I mean, it's pitiful. And I hear people get up and say, oh God, you know what the doctor said. The doctor said that I'm going to die if something doesn't happen. And they'll spend 30 minutes telling God what the doctor said. As if God wouldn't understand how important this is if I don't tell him, amen. This has got to be top priority, God, <laughs> amen. I know you're busy, but this is really important. And so we try and convince God. The Bible says just the opposite of that in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, don't use vain repetition because your Father knows what you have need of before you ask. Prayer is not an opportunity to inform, poor misinform God about your situation. You don't even have to tell God what the doctor said. Doctor... <laughs> God knows more than the doctor ever thought about knowing. God knows more about your situation. But see, we try and get God. We think that he's up there looking at us. No, it's not serious enough yet. I've got too many other cases to deal with first. Wait your turn or whatever. But the truth is, God's not up there evaluating you and saying, cry a little harder, pray a little harder. There are laws that God has set down. You meet the conditions, the power flows. God doesn't even have to pass judgment. He doesn't even have to look at your request and stamp approved on it. God doesn't even have to say, okay, and give it to you. There are laws set down. You put those laws into practice and the power will flow. If you go grab the electricity in these walls, if you go grab two wires that are hooked up and you join them together, you don't have to call the electric company and say, please shock me. You just put those laws together and that electricity will flow. It's just automatic. There's laws that govern it. It's the same thing with faith. And that's the reason that this woman could touch, come and touch the hem of his garment. And she got healed and Jesus didn't even know who it was. Jesus didn't even have time to size her up and say, boy, you are really serious. I'm going to heal you. He didn't do anything. There was virtue in him. There's virtue in God. There's virtue in this place. God's here tonight. There's enough power to raise the dead, to see the blind eyes open, the deaf ears open. There's enough power for anything we need. But the difference is who's going to make that connection? Who's going to grab hold of the law of faith and begin to make a demand on the power of God? That's where the difference is. 
And just believing that God can do it is not making a demand on the power of God. Anybody can believe God can do it. The unbeliever out here, the person that isn't even born again, believes God can do whatever God wants to do. Believing God can do it isn't faith. You've got to believe God has done it and He's willing to do it if you will just receive and believe. God calls those things which be not as though they were. And if you would turn over to Genesis chapter 17, I won't take time to do it tonight just because of time. But in Genesis 17 is an example where God appeared to Abraham and told him that in a year's time his wife Sarah would conceive and have a child. And God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which meant father of many nations. So God changed his name and he didn't say, when you have this child and then this child begins to reproduce, then we're going to call you the father of many nations. God called Abraham the father of many nations before he even had a child. He had a child by a handmaid, but before he had the child of promise, before he even had children, God changed his name and he says, for a father of many nations have I made you. Not a father of many nations am I going to make you, but a father of many nations have I made you. Now this is an example of God's kind of faith. God is able to call those things which be not as though they were. That's what faith is. Faith is saying what God says, even if you can't see it in the natural yet. Did you know when God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1? You can read it all the way through Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the earth bring forth creeping things and all this, and there was and God said, and it came to pass. God spoke it into existence. And if you'll read in Genesis 1, 3, God created light on the first day of creation. And it was the fourth day of creation before he created the sun, the moon, or the stars. <laughs> God created light four days before there was anywhere for it to come from. Think about that. Most of us would have created the sun, the moon, and the stars and then released the light. God created the light and then created some place for it to come from. You need to think about these things. And God isn't bound the way that we are. We got to see it. God, I hadn't seen it yet. I would be lying to confess that I'm healed when I don't feel healed. That's a lie. And let me just say that I can understand how people have come up with that conclusion because there's people that have misunderstood what I'm teaching and they've gone out and they've just gone and shot off their mouth and they didn't believe in their heart. It didn't ring true in your ears and you knew something was wrong. They died and you see that kind of stuff and you say, well, man, who wants to be like that? Well, I agree that that's wrong. The Bible, the way that you balance this is the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Some people have grabbed hold of this and have gone out and confessed, I'm a millionaire. Gone out and confessed all kinds of things. I know a woman who grabbed hold of Mark chapter 11, verse 24, that says, Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. This woman led a Bible school, and she got off into the weird area, and she got to having a confession that Kenneth Copeland was going to be her husband. And she cursed Gloria Copeland and commanded Gloria to die and get out of the way. And she had a wedding ceremony, wore a dress, did all of these things, and married Kenneth Copeland in the spirit. <laughs> There was another woman that was confessing Norval Hayes was her husband. And I told her, she came up to me and told me about that. And I looked at her and this, this probably wasn't right, but I just couldn't refrain myself. I said, lady, it'd serve you right if you got Norval Hayes. <laughs> 
Norville's a great guy, but man, praise God, Hood won't live with him. Amen. <laughs> He'd be hard to live with. You can't do things like that. The reason you can't go out and confess, well, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that I'm going to plan the perfect bank robbery and I'll make off with a million dollars. I can have whatsoever I say. I'm calling those things which be not as though they were. In the first place, God never provided being a thief for you by His grace. So your faith can't obtain it. Faith can only obtain what God's already done. God didn't provide adultery for you. So you can't confess the perfect act of adultery, amen, and get away with it. You can't confess murder and get away with it. It doesn't work because God didn't provide those things by grace. So there is an abuse to what I'm saying, but don't throw out the good just because somebody's abusing it. I mean, the Jehovah Witnesses, they come along and they knock on doors. Are we going to quit witnessing because they witness? Are we going to quit dealing with the family because the Mormons preach about the family? I mean, just because a cult comes along and misuses something doesn't mean that we need to get rid of the truth. There is a truth about speaking God's Word and calling those things which be not as though they were. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's an example about Elisha who went out and the army of Syria came and surrounded them because Elisha had been giving the battle plans of the king of Syria to the king of Israel. And finally, the king of Syria woke up and he said, one of us is a traitor. And one of the uh, slaves that they had taken out of the nation of Israel, she said, there's none of us that's a traitor, but there's a man of God that tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. And man, this king got nervous. And so he sent for Elisha. His armies totally surrounded Elisha. They got up in the morning. Elisha's servant Gehazi went out. And when he walked out, he saw these thousands and thousands and thousands of enemy armies surrounding his city. And he knew why they was there. Amen. If you were the United States secret weapon, giving away all of the battle plans of all of these other nations, and someday you woke up and had guns pointed at you, wouldn't you know why they were there? They knew what was happening. And anyway, Gehazi goes in and he said, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Which is old English for what are we going to do? Amen. This guy was shook and he came in and talked to Elisha. And you know what Elisha said to him? He said, fear not. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, see, those of you that don't believe in confession would have to believe that Elisha lied. Because, I mean, anybody could count. You could count the enemy by thousands. One thousand, two thousand, three thousand. And then you could look at Elisha and Gehazi. One, two. <laughs> and he says, those that be with us are more than those that be with them. Well, that guy, he's just operating in that old name it, claim it stuff. Positive confession. I mean, that guy just bold-faced lied. He didn't tell the truth. Well, it was a lie if... You believe what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel is all the truth there is. If all you are is carnally minded, and carnal doesn't necessarily mean sinful, it just means flesh, natural. If all you are is looking at the carnal realm, it's a lie to say that there's more of you when there's only two than there is of 10,000 enemy armies. But see, Elisha wasn't just thinking in the natural realm. He was including God in this thing. And he prayed, Lord, open up this young man's eyes. Now, that you know that guy's eyes were already wide open, amen. But he was talking about his spiritual eyes. He said, Lord, open up his eyes. And the Lord opened up Gehazi's eyes. And sure enough, did you know that the armies were still there? But on the mountains round about them, there were chariots of fire. It was the angels of God. And Elisha did not lie. He told the truth. Amen. <laughs> 
But he told something that you couldn't prove in the physical realm. Did you know that nobody except Gehazi ever did see all those other angels? If you would have been there, you wouldn't have seen them. But did you know they still worked? It still worked. When I'm saying by his stripes I'm healed, when I don't look like I'm healed, and if you go up and try and get me to check me out and look me over and have a doctor examine me, you might say that I lied. But I'm not lying. I'm just speaking the spiritual truth. I'm speaking what God said. And if I had time tonight, I could explain to you that things come through the Spirit first and then they manifest themselves in the physical. And so when you're confessing by his stripes I'm healed, you're confessing the truth. But it's a spiritual reality. How do you get it from the spiritual into the physical? Faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is in the spiritual realm. It's a future tense thing. Faith gives substance. This is substance, amen. This pew, something physical. Faith gives tangibility to things that are in the spiritual realm. Faith is what brings things out of the spiritual realm into the physical realm. Faith doesn't make things happen. Your faith can't make God heal you. God's already healed you. It's already here. It's in you in the spirit. I've already got the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling on the inside of me. It's already here. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1. Somebody says, how do you know it's there? Did you see it? No, the Word of God, see, is, is spirit and life. John chapter 6, verse 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If you want to know what spiritual truth is, look at God's Word. If you want to see if your hair is combed, you've got to go look in a mirror. You can't tell by feeling if your hair is combed. Now, some of you may be able to, but I can't. I don't even know if my hair is combed or not. You know, you've never seen the top of your head. You've never seen the back of your head. How do you know you got it? Well, brother, I've looked in a mirror. Well, all you're doing is seeing a reflection. You aren't seeing the real thing. How do you know what you're seeing is real? Well, I can feel it. Well, how do you know what you're feeling is real? You believe it. You believe what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You can get to a place to where you believe what God's Word says. And the Bible says in James chapter 1 that this is like a, a man that looks in a glass at his face. This is looking in the perfect law of liberty. This Word, when I look into it, it gives me a reflection of who I am in Christ and what I've got in Christ. And this Word says, by his stripes I'm healed. I can't see that in a physical mirror, but I can look in this spiritual mirror and I can see that, praise God, I've already been healed. The healing power of God's on the inside of me. How do I get it out of the spirit into the physical? My spirit doesn't need to be healed. It's my physical body that needs to be healed. How do you get that physical body healed? You believe it? Faith gives substance to it. Faith brings it from the spirit into the physical realm. Faith is what releases that ability of God. Hope doesn't do it. Desire doesn't do it. Need doesn't do it. Desperation doesn't do it. Bawling and squalling and crying doesn't do it. The only thing that will do it is believe in God. Man, if you'll believe the promise of God and be bold to stand up and speak it, to act on it, not give a rip what anybody else has to say about it, God said it, I believe it, I believe it, I'll base my life on it. You know, when you get to where you act on it like that, faith kicks in. And man, all of a sudden, you'll see evidence of those things that you couldn't see before. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It didn't say the evidence of things that don't exist. They do exist, 
but they're just spiritual. Faith brings them into the physical. Faith brings them into evidence, into reality. Brothers and sisters, faith is what we're missing. We've already got everything. You've got the healing virtue of God on the inside, but the problem is somebody's got to activate it by faith. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You all believe that? That's wrong. I misquoted that verse. I quoted it the way you believe it. You ought to turn over there and read that. Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. There's a limitation on God being able to work. God works through you, and that power working in you is faith. If there's no faith on the inside of you, you stop God. It's not God who doesn't have power. It's you that stops that power. You're the only person. You know the devil can't stop God. Jesus and the devil have already had a showdown. Jesus beat the devil. The devil wouldn't fight Jesus for anything. But what he'll do is fight you. You are the only person, demons, angels, nobody has the ability, the authority to stop God. But God gave you a free choice. And God himself will not override your free choice. If you want to go to hell, God will beat people off of you with a stick to keep them from trying to make you go to heaven. Nobody can make you go to heaven. You've got a free choice. God will protect your right to go to hell if you want to. You can literally choose death if you want it. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. The understood subject of that sentence is, Therefore, you choose life. God gave you the choice. The devil can't force you to do anything. God will not force you to do anything. It's in your ballpark. It's a matter of what you believe. Not what you desire, but what you believe. The way you choose life is to believe life. You believe that by His stripes I'm healed. You believe that God's going to meet all of my needs. You believe that God's going to answer my prayer and touch these people that you're praying for. And by doing that, you release the ability of God. And there are laws that govern it. The moment you get into that, I guarantee you the power of God flows. And you don't have to wonder, will God answer it if I do this? There's no question about it. It's already done. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes, we were healed. It's already done. God isn't healing people today. You were healed 2,000 years ago through the atonement of the Lord Jesus. It's already been done. The healing virtue is there. It's just like the electricity. It's already piped into the building. It's on. And it's just a matter of, are you going to flick it on by faith? Or are you going to sit there and just cry? You can come into this building and you can call up the electric company and say, look, we got a meeting tonight. We got people coming. Would you please come out and turn on the electricity for us? You can plead with them. You can call them. You can beg them. You can send them letters. You can do whatever you want to, but they aren't going to come out and turn it on for you. They generate it. They provide it. You got a covenant, a contract with them, but it's at your disposal. You got to go over there and flick it on. And that's the way it is. God's already provided it. You don't need to ask God, will you heal me? He's already healed you. God, will you save me? God's already saved everybody. He's going to save God, will you prosper me? He's already prospered everybody. He's going to prosper. It's not a matter of God, will you do it? It's already done. Will you believe it? Will you accept what God's done for you? That's the reason you were able to get born again is because, see, salvation was presented this way. Salvation was presented as Jesus already died. Nobody thought Jesus had to go die for you. It was already done. And all you were doing was saying, well, man, if it's already done and if it's available, well, I receive. 
But when it comes to healing, people think, well, it's not done. I've still got to do something to get it to happen. But no, it's already done. It's already done. Same as your salvation. It's already done. It's just a matter of, are you going to believe it? Are you going to stand and fight? Are you going to believe it just long enough to say it and then wait and see if you feel it? Are you going to really believe it? I mean, you can get to a place where, God, I don't care. You know, there is actually a testimony by a woman that came to Smith Wigglesworth's meetings. I don't know how many of you know about Smith Wigglesworth, but great Pentecostal man of God. And uh, he died about 1948, I think it was, something like that. And he had a woman that was prayed for in one of his meetings that had a goiter on her neck. And this was back about the turn of the century. And she was prayed for at a youth. I mean, I don't know if it was a youth, but it was some kind of a camp that they went to. And everybody knew this lady. And she got prayer, and she believed God healed her. And man, she got excited and stood up in front of the whole group testifying, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. I mean, she wasn't trying to confess it to make it happen. She believed it already happened, so she was confessing it. And she told them that by the stripes of Jesus, she is healed, and they could still see this border. Did you know she came back the next year, and they were asking for testimonies, and this woman's border was still there. And she stood up and said, I want to praise God. It was a year ago last night that God healed me. And people began to start looking at her like, man, you know, what's wrong with this woman? The second year she came back and she said, two years ago tonight, God healed me of a gorter that was on my neck. And people by this time were getting embarrassed. And finally, people came up and started talking to her. You know, you're an embarrassment. You're up there testifying to something that's not true. People don't understand, etc. They began to put this woman down. And this woman got in front of the Lord. She was looking in the mirror and she said, Lord, I know that you healed me. Your word said it. I believe it with all of my heart. And she said, I don't understand why I'm still sick, but I know I'm healed. And these people, they can't believe it if they can't see it. God, would you take this thing away just so that they could believe that what's already happened is really true? And you know that thing, she woke up and it was gone. Now somebody said, well, why did it take two years? Well, I don't know to tell you the truth, amen. I don't have all the answers, but I tell you, that woman hit a key. That she was letting God's word be real to her. Most of us want to use God's word so we can get back to reality. Use it just long enough to get ourselves fixed so we can get back to walking by sight. You can actually get to a place to where, man, you walk by faith and not by sight, and you just don't care if it ever matches up. You believe God's Word. And you know, as soon as you quit caring about it, that's when you're going to have all the manifestation that you want. If you're just going to try this for 30 minutes tonight, I mean, if you want to come up here and get prayer, and by the time you fall over and hit the floor, you're healed, then you say, praise God. But I mean, if that's all you're going to do, it won't work that way. You can't just try it. But if you'll believe it, if you'll believe that God's already done it, and really move into faith, you know, you can receive miracles from God. Brothers and sisters, it's not God's hand that's short that it can't save. It's not God's ear that's heavy that it can't hear. It's the fact that nobody's believing God. People aren't putting their faith in God. God hadn't quit performing miracles. The days of miracles aren't over. I've seen people raised from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I had a man die on me one time, 45 minutes he was dead during one of my services. It was the rudest thing anybody ever did in one of my meetings. He liked to have ruined my meeting. That's been about 11 years ago, and that man's 74 years old now. He's working a full-time job. Every time I go to Kansas City, I stay with him and his wife and stay with them, and they're doing just great. 
Amen. No problem. God doesn't have any power raising people from the dead, opening blind eyes. God doesn't have any power. It's just, I mean, problem with that is just people that have a problem receiving. And tonight, faith will come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Did you know you can believe God tonight? Some of you that have known God could heal, God could prosper you, God could change your life, but you've never moved into the present tense. God, thank you that it is done. And praise God, I'm going to flick on the switch. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to stand up and boldly profess that it's done for me tonight. If you can get out of the hope so realm into the believe that it is done realm, you can see a miracle. God can intervene in your life. Amen. It's according to the power that works in you. I'm challenging you tonight to believe God. I'm challenging you to stir yourself instead of questioning God and saying, God, why aren't you doing something? God's saying, why aren't you doing something? You remember Elisha took the mantle of Elijah and hit the water and he said, where's the Lord, God of Elijah? But the question that you need to ask is, where is the Elijah of God? Not where's the God of Elijah, but where's the Elijah of God? Where's somebody that will believe God like Elijah did? Amen? Y'all ready to believe tonight? You got any needs? Well, we can get rid of them. Amen. We can cast all the care about that over on the Lord and have God provide miracles tonight. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your word tonight. I'm asking you, Father, through the Holy Spirit that you'd bear witness with this. And your word says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I'm asking you that the word of God would quicken people's faith to believe you, Father. That we'd move out of the realm of excusing all of the mistakes and the failures that we've got. That we'd move out of a place where we're waiting on you to do it and recognize that you're waiting on us to stand up and believe you. Father, I'm asking you for people here tonight that have serious situations and they've been desiring the things of God, but they've never got over into the active place of believing. They've just been passive, desiring and hoping. I'm asking you that tonight, Father, the Word of God would draw them into that position where they could be like this woman that touched the hem of your garment that made a decision that I can do it. If I but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. I'm asking you to bring people, Father, to that place tonight. I'm asking you to quicken people's faith. And Father, we thank you. Praise the Lord. Boy, there's power and anointing of God manifesting here tonight. I believe some of you must have received it because see, when you go to believe in God, the power of God turns on. The anointing of God's flowing in here tonight to set people free. Whatever it is that you need tonight, God can meet that need. There's no problem with God. It's just a matter of will you believe Him? Will you believe and receive? Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to ask those of you that need a physical healing in your body, I want you to stand right where you are tonight. We're going to pray for you and we're going to believe God for a miracle. I'm not asking those of you who are just wishing or desiring or your needs desperate. I'm asking if you're ready to believe. Are you going to speak to that thing? Are you going to call those things that be not as though they are? Use your faith. If you are, you'll get healed. Amen. Let's everybody put ourselves in agreement right now with these people. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for these right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
And Father, these people are professing that they not only believe that you are, but that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father, we believe that right now as we stand and believe that, Father, you not only have the power, but you release that power. We speak this power loosed in these people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we release your power and authority to flow through these lives right now in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we command healing to flow through these people right now in the name of Jesus. Arthritis is bound right now in Jesus' name. Did you have arthritis? Did you have arthritis? Who in here had arthritis? As I was praying for her, the Lord's ministering to somebody. Right now, arthritis is healed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan, we command you to be gone. Right there's your pain leaving. You're free right now. If you had problems moving, I want you to move and begin to start exercising your faith. You're going to find out that all pain is gone. Instantly, you're made whole. That pain is gone off of you. You're healed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody here has had a problem swallowing. I don't know what causes that, but something that affects the way you swallow. God's ministering a healing to you right now. You're being healed. You're able to start swallowing normally in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody's back has been hurting them. You've had constant pain in that for a long time. The healing virtue of Jesus is flowing through you. Somebody here has had an intestinal infection and God's ministering a healing to you. You're going to be supernaturally healed. That's caused a lot of discomfort. God's healing you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody here had a knot on the head, a bump to the head that's caused some kind of a damage. And God's ministering healing to you right now. By the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Somebody here, when you breathe real deep, when you take in a deep breath, it hurts your chest. God's ministering healing to you right now. You're going to be able to breathe deeply. You're going to be able to run, to walk, to do all of those things without any of that discomfort. The healing virtue of Jesus is flowing into you. Praise the Lord. Somebody here in their joints, it's not arthritis, but I believe it's your knee joints have been real stiff. It's been hard for you to walk normally. God's ministering a healing to you. You're going to be healed. You are healed by the stripes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, it's done. Father, we thank you that this healing is manifest in these knees right now in the name of Jesus. Somebody here has had problems with your toes. Could be corns, bunions, things like that, but God's ministering a healing to it right now. Those things are leaving you. I speak to them in Jesus' name. Command those things to die and to come off of your feet. For your feet to be normal the way God meant them to be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we receive that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Somebody here has been running a fever. That fever's leaving you right now. It's gone in the name of Jesus. There's someone else here that you've got somebody else, a child or somebody that's not here at this service that you've been praying for that's running a fever. God's setting them free right now. That thing's leaving them. Even right now, as we believe, there's no distance or limitations to faith. God's power is bringing healing unto that in the name of the Lord Jesus. Somebody here's had a skin disease, uh, some kind of a rash, scab type thing. God's ministering a healing to that. It's leaving you right now in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for ministering healing to all of these things. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Sinus problems are being healed right now. That drainage is stopping. The soreness is drying, I mean, leaving you. Sinuses are drying up. You're going to be able to breathe normally in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for that. Somebody here has had hereditary type sickness that you've been dealing with. Fear has been fighting you because people in your family have died of it. 
That's a curse. We break that right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is setting you free from that. And we command that to stop now in Jesus' name. Another pain over on the right side of you. This is on your front and your abdomen. There's a pain over on the right side. God's ministering a healing to that. Whatever causes that, God's healing you right now. That pain is leaving in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise you, Father. Father, we receive that healing right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. God's ministering many, many healings to people in here tonight. Father, we thank you for that. Praise the Lord. How many of you have had one of those things that I was calling out? Man, how many of you have already seen the manifestation of it? You'd like to testify that you're healed, that your pain's gone, or whatever the symptom was is gone. Somebody. Yes, ma'am. What was it? Your ankle. Praise the Lord. No pain now. You're like a lot of people. You just got one foot in, see? Now you got both feet in. Praise the Lord. We pray that your spirit has been quickened by hearing the Word of God in this teaching by Andrew Womack. We want you to know that Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline between the hours of 5 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Mountain Time. You can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We also maintain a 24-hour website with access to a wealth of free ministry materials at www.awmi.net. Our complete catalog of ministry products is always available for purchase via telephone, website, or by writing to Andrew Womack Ministries at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. The gifts of friends and partners enable us to continue reaching out with the message of God's unconditional love and grace. We hope to hear from you soon. The music that follows is from Jamie Womack's CD titled, Worthy is the Lamb.